smells like shoe polish. Be quiet. We have a promo to do. I'm Jeff Ferry, and this is my head row podcast mate, Chris Durkach. We are the hosts of the Jay and Silent Bob Minute. We break down the Kevin Smith films featuring Jay and Silent Bob one minute at a time, starting with Clerks. I have a hockey game at 12. Please. So if you've ever worked a job behind the counter discussing Star Wars while slinging coffee, nudie mags, and cigarettes... Cancer merchant! Cancer merchant! Chill down. Or if you ever leaned outside a convenience store, secretly hated all your customers, or closed your place of business to attend a funeral, you should join us at Jane Silent Bob Minute on DuelingGenre.com as we discuss the milkmaids, berserkers, and the significance of the number 37. In a row? Come for the clerks, and stay for the rest of the Jane Silent Bob Minute fun. Chris, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Hi, this is Michael McConaughey. I'm the voice of Vampire Hunter D and a lot of other things. I've been very fortunate in being able to be a whole lot of different people in my career. You are listening to the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast, and you better enjoy it. We're back with the Vampire Movie Minute podcast, where we talk about vampire movies five minutes at a time. We're revisiting our, well, continuing our coverage of Drac- Dracula 1979, starring Frank Langella. And when we are picking up at minute 55, where Dr. Van Helsing is talking to Lucy, about to give her a cross because he is very worried about her safety and that there might be a vampire about. So this is where we're finally leaning fully into, uh, okay, we've got a vampire. We're pretty sure we know who it is. And we got to figure that out very soon because he's already killed one person and he might be trying to kill another. Yeah, and she gets the cross from him. Um, they get a uh, into a conversation. Van Helsing observes Dracula. There's no such thing as vampires. Picture of Lucy and Mina. Um, we see a white horse as well. So there's just a, there's honestly a bunch of different like jump scenes that happen. Or whatever. Not yeah. a lot seems to be. Uh, one after the other. The yeah. white horse showing up kind of reminds me of that awful white horse scene in the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it, the main the main takeaways in this five minutes, I would say, is, well, at least for, from my standpoint, is, one, we have the first standoff with Van Helsing and Dracula, who immediately notices the cross on Lucy's neck and does not seem to like it nope. <laughs> at all. <laughs> and, uh, and then we have uh, this white horse who apparently is either clairvoyant or can sense vampires because um, apparently he's shadow facts or something. I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> what does a white horse usually mean? Doesn't it mean something? I mean, there's a reason why Rob Zombie stuck it in his movie. Uh, usually, usually a, in on, a white horse is usually... I'd say it's usually a sign of like uh, virtue, so it's like a, a, like coming in on a white horse, like it's like a the no, like the noble knight, basically. I think is is the way, or like on a that's usually the way that, that it's referred to. So like that's that's kind of why uh, Gandalf comes in, in and that's that's why I reference Shadowfax, who you know that's his white that's the white horse that he he rides, and so that way you know he's coming at the ba- end of the Battle of Helm's Deep, he's literally riding in like the savior <laughs> on a white on a white horse, so. I think that's what it's in reference to. So it's a lot of medieval um, references, and since white is always associated with virtue and um, you know un- uncorrupted, I guess is a good way to put it. So it's a perfect horse <laughs> in their mind. 
Animal coordinator for this movie was name was John Holmes. Probably no relation to the porn star. I was just about to say, I'm like, that's quite a name to have in the in the seventies. <laughs> Late seventies. Early 80s, but there you go. <laughs> uh the only thing he worked on that I probably think either one of us would have known about is he worked on Monty Python's uh Flying Circus. And I think that's it. It's the oh, only okay, thing probably. I can pull out of this IMDb that I, I, I recognize at all. He was um, dog trainer, cat trainer, cat handler, animal supervisor in a lot of movies. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot going on right there. Uh, the Tomb of Lenjaya. Lenjaya, is that's also one that I'm familiar with. Um, Shadow of the Cat. Obviously, that needed a cat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he uh, passed away in the year 2000. But uh, yeah, he was a uh, quite the uh, dog... Animal handler on on many different things. So was his wife too. His wife was a dog handler handler trainer on uh, several things from 1969 to 1983. Yeah, that's a, that's always been a fascinating job. It's like uh, <laughs> it's it's always interesting because you always those are some of the best stories you get from actors talking about because like animal wranglers are like there's like two there's there only seems to be two types. There's either people who just kind of like really love like the job and want to be sure that it's done very safely, like they're very professional. And then the other the other category is weirdos, like just pure weirdos that, that are just like they'll say something like, "Really? No. Like what? <laughs> it doesn't. Like you can only train a cat so much or whatever." But yeah, yeah, tra- cats are not super easy to train. No, not not at all. I I would say that. Uh, um, are you familiar with uh, going going by both now, but Su- uh, either Susie or Eddie Izzard's bit about Pavlov's cat? Uh, no. Okay, yeah. So, so the idea is like, uh, the, for those familiar, uh, you know, with the famous experiment, it's the idea of like, oh, if you ring a bell every time a dog gets their food, then they will initially, eventually, if you remove it, it's about conditioning. So, if eventually, if you remove it, the dog will just start to like, they'll start to drool or salivate when they hear a bell, <laughs> and and so Susie's bit is that it's like, all right, well, it's great we didn't try it with the cat. So it's like day one, rang bell, cat fucked off. <laughs> Day two, rang bell, cat said he'd eaten earlier. <laughs> day three, attempted to ring bell, found cat had stolen batteries. And then day four, cat rang bell, I ate food. So, <laughs> so I, I, I'd say it's a lot easier to, I'd say food motivation is a lot stronger with dogs, generally from my experience, having two cats and two dogs. <laughs> Well, let's see. What else do we got? Uh, we got Dracula Mist, and we also um, sees a bug. Renfield sees a bug. Uh, the horse goes nuts, too. Lucy's nightgown, also smoking hot. Yeah, no, it's... it's. I mean, it's interesting. I, I keep thinking every time I see... Um, I'm forgetting... Oh, goodness, I'm, I'm losing the name of the, the actress who plays Lucy in this movie. Um... Kate Nelligan. Kate Nelligan, I keep looking at Not her... Not to be in, confused in with Kate of... Mulligan, who was Catherine yeah. Janeway on Star Trek Voyager. There you go. Um, yeah, no, but I keep seeing her, especially in these shots, like, from the side. She Doesn't she look a little bit like Faye Dunaway? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so I keep getting... Like, obviously, Faye Dunaway was more light-haired, but that that's for me. I'm like, oh, okay, that's got to be something. But... But yeah, no, she's she's uh, admiring herself and uh, debating whether or not to wear the cross. She's uh, taking it off, so that's not a great sign. Nope. Um, but uh, again, sexy nightgown. Yes, this is true. Undeniable. Uh, and then we are into our five minutes of Dracula entering. Yes, he uh, he comes in. Uh, 
very doing very suave. Uh, you can tell he's being suave because he has that uh, that often power shirt uh, undone, unbuttoned at the top, and he's coming in with just him and the shirt and the cape. So yeah. there you go. Like a boss, he comes in. Yep, that's right. Doors hey. open for him. And uh, where can people find us, Scott, now that we're ending with five minutes? Yes, you can find us at the Vampire Minute on Twitter and the Vampire Movie Minute on Facebook. And then if you'd like more movie reviews from myself, I have my own uh, blog and podcast companion, which is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Review Blog. Uh, I should probably have shortened that years ago, but I never did. And uh, where can they find you, Chris? You can find me over my own version of Dracula, Vlada a Dracula Tale, on uh, on Facebook, Etsy, or Amazon, or wherever your local comic book store wants to carry it, as well as its subsequent comic book tie-ins, as well as short story anthology, short film, and a play uh, that's coming out. Uh, well, the play script is out. The play has to get made. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to be uh, expanding the Vlada universe with a new anthology comic book next year with Don Peresi returning. If you're not familiar with who he is, look up Don Peresi's Vampire and Vixens card set. It is some of the sexiest vampire art you will ever see, I guarantee. Oh. Wow. Uh, they were cards I was not supposed to be looking at when I was a child, let's just say. <laughs> and I don't and think there's very... anything wrong with them. They're not pornographic, in my opinion. They're just sexy. So keep, yeah. just keep that in mind, but not for children. Um, <laughs> but you can easily find a, uh, a set of these cards on eBay. I, by the way, sent my entire card set to Don to sign, and he initialed every single one. Very true. Yeah, so I have an entire complete. I have a couple. It's my only complete card set actually signed, completely completed by the artist. I would love to do that with like my Spider-Man card set by Mark Bagley. Yeah, that would yeah, be yeah. that would be something I'd probably have to pay for too. I'd probably have to make a good. I think he collects money for the Hero Initiative, so uh, I would definitely have to make a pretty good donation to the Hero Initiative. But I would definitely bring it to him and ask him ahead of time, be like, "Hey, I got a question. I'll donate like you know." like $25 or whatever I can afford to the Hero Initiative if you sign all these cards. So, Which I'm sure he signed those cards before, but he was the artist on an entire like 120-something card set for Spider-Man back in the 90s. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every single card he drew. Unbelievable. <laughs> this guy, by the way, is uh, famous for the creator. He's the uh, probably the biggest thing he created was Carnage. Oh, wow. Yep. That's the... Uh... Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it, it's interesting just because I'm just thinking of like that was the kind of the dual era of mass production of both cards and comics. So, well, this was yeah. also after Marvel bought like Skybox, Skyfleet, or whatever the oh, card company right. was. One of the reasons why the company went bankrupt, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this well, is not a good buy. This is the thing that led to their no. financial ruin for a while, and yeah. they didn't recover until the early 2000s when the Ultimate Verse launched and and the uh, and Spider-Man the movie launched. So yeah. I, I mean, now, was it worth those very glossy uh, trading cards of Marvel characters? I say yes. Yes. I own uh, the first original <laughs> four sets. I own a set of the X-Men cards, which are all drawn by Jim Lee. And there I own the Spider-Man cards. I own multiple Spider-Man cards because I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I'm selling a set of cards right now, a mint complete set of the Wolverine cards. Ooh. But I might hold on to him because somebody might be in a movie. We already know he's going to be in a movie coming out, which is a matter of whenever they finish filming it. Yeah, and then there's been there's been chat of another MCU one though. I don't I don't know what the likelihood of that one is, but still exciting. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another exciting five minutes of the Vampire Movie Minute podcast. <laughs>